All right, get your Bibles out if you would with me, please. First John chapter 3 is where we are um, in this series that we're doing. We're getting ready to finish up the series that we started a couple weeks ago. First John chapter 3. You also can follow along on the screen here as well. It says, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living, truly living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive whatever we ask for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. We've been looking at these verses over the last several weeks, and I've said this every week, that I think it's just an interesting passage of Scripture, because it describes something I think that most of us are aware of, and that is all these different realities that are contending for our attention and contending for our loyalty. There's the reality of what your friends and family says. There's the reality of what culture says. There's the reality of what your hormones say and your thoughts say and your emotions say, and there's the reality, even what the devil says. But just like this verse describes, there's also the reality of what God says, which means every single day of our life, every minute of our life, we have a choice. And that choice is whose reality are we going to live our lives by? And I want that to kind of sink into you as we're kind of finishing up this series, because this is not going to change just because we're no longer talking about this. But tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, you're going to have a choice. Whose reality are you going to live your life by? Are you going to live your life just by what the, the, all the thoughts that come into you or all the emotions that surround you? Are you going to live your life by the hormones and the lust of your flesh or even by the nag, nagging voice of the devil in your life? We have a choice, folks. Every single day of our life, we have a choice to choose whose reality are we going to live our lives by. We've been doing this series called We Believe, and what we're doing is that we're going through the Nicene Creed, and I've said this over the weeks, that the Nicene Creed was written back in 325 A.D., and it was written specifically because during the first and second and third centuries, there was so much influx of heretical teachings and humanistic philosophies in the church of that day that it almost destroyed the Christian church. And so as an attempt to try to thwart all of this heretical teaching and humanistic philosophies, they, they wrote this Nicene Creed so that believers could come together, just like we are doing here today, and begin to declare and recite and proclaim this Nicene Creed, which are really the absolutes of Scripture, those things that ground us to the truth of God's Word. And so we've been going through this um, kind of by line by line throughout the weeks. It's on here on the screen here again. Why don't you say this here with me? Say this out loud. Here we go. We believe in one God the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. 
For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, worldwide, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And so that's the Nicene Creed. And here we are at the end of this, and we're going to look this morning at the last section of this creed, which says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you have your Bible, go with me to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65, and we're starting here in seven, verse 17. It says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it any infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth, and he who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will, will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline that phrase in that very first verse, I will create new heavens and a new earth. We're going to talk about heaven here this morning. When we talk about heaven, I think there's so many misunderstandings and there's so much confusion about heaven that I think a lot of people have absolutely no idea what heaven is about. So many people think about heaven and they, they make this suggestion that the resurrection of the dead and that heaven, all that is is just some sort of fanciful idea for the weak-minded just to try to help them get along through the difficulties of life. Have you ever heard that before? That's how some people view heaven. Heaven's not really a reality. It's just a fanciful idea that weak-minded people can hold on to to somehow get them through this world. Other people have this idea that, that heaven's just a bunch of mist and clouds and people are up there flying with their wings and white dresses with halos on top of their head and a harp in their hand and they're singing in the choir. For some people, that's how they view heaven. But how many of you know that that's not heaven? I would suggest to you that's probably hell. <laughs> <laughs> that really, that really is in heaven. So when, we, when people talk about that this is what heaven is like, it's no, it's no wonder that people are confused and they don't really want to go to heaven, that they would rather go to hell. There's so many jokes about hell and how hell really is the better place to go because hell's, that's where all your friends are going to be. That's where all the parties are going to be in hell. You've heard that before? Any of you heard the story of, of, of Boudreaux when he went to hell? Any, 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 any Cajuns out there? Well, Boudreaux found himself in hell, but he was having the time of his life there in hell because it reminded him of southern Louisiana where he grew up. Yes, it was hot, but it was just like going being in southern Louisiana. Come on, Danny, you know what I'm talking about here. And so Satan gets word that Boudreaux's enjoying hell. 
And so Satan tracks down Boudreaux, and sure enough, there he is. He's high-fying all, Boudreaux's high-fying all the people around him. And he's saying, this is fantastic. I love this. And Satan goes, Boudreaux, why are you so happy? And Boudreaux, he goes, well, this is just like July, a hot, sunny day in July in New Orleans. I really like this. And Satan's confused and thinking, what in the world? And he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to turn it up hotter. And so he turns it up hotter and and goes and tries to find him the next day. And there's Boudreaux, big smile on his face, and he's high-fiving his friends. And and Satan goes, what in the world, Boudreaux? Why are you so happy? It's hot, hotter than hot here in hell. How can you be enjoying this? And Boudreaux goes, this just reminds me of a hot day in August in Lafayette. And so Satan's confused. He said, what am I going to do? He's supposed to be miserable in here. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll turn the temperature down and I'll freeze him out. That'll make him miserable. And sure enough, the next day he goes and finds Boudreaux. And there's Boudreaux there in the corner just shivering uncontrollably. He's blue and he's got these icicles coming down from, from his, his eye, eyebrows. And, but yet he has this big grin on his face. And Satan's confused, going, Buddha, what in the world is going on? Why are you so happy? It's freezing here in hell. And Boudreaux smiles and said, man, the Aggies just won the NCAA College Football National Championships. It takes a while, doesn't it? When hell freezes over. If whoever you came with still doesn't get it, you might have to explain it on your way home. As funny as that might be, that's not the way heaven or hell is. And I think for so many of us, when we talk about even earth, this earth thing is kind of what we are enjoying. For so many of us, earth has, has become coming almost like heaven to us. Because here, we're experiencing so many great things. And so when things don't go the way we think they should, we really get upset because, because we're really enjoying this earth thing. We're enjoying this world thing. It's almost as if our prayers are, God, make this earth thing work out for me. That's kind of how we live our life is we're wanting this, this world to be heaven here for us. But we need to understand that the best hope that you can have is not in this world and this world being all that you want it to be and everything in this world happening the way you want it to happen. Your hope needs to be put towards heaven. That's where we need to be able to put, put our hope. I want you to look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw and welcomed them from a distance. They were longing it for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, I think our grandparents understood this better than you and me. I think our grandparents' generation understood this so much more than we tend to do it. And, be, and the reason is because that generation, for that generation, this world was difficult. For that generation, the generations before all of that, this world was difficult. It was a struggle, and so they were looking forward to heaven. One of the old songs that that generation used to sing had these words, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. These were the songs of that generation because they were longing for something better than what this world could hold. They were longing for that. But what do we do? For us, it's so, much, it's so much more difficult because we tend to like this whole earth experience. Come on. 
don't we? Admit it. We tend to like this, this earth experience that we're experiencing here. We like all the stuff of this earth, and we feel so connected to this world. And so because we haven't had the hardships of past generations, and because we haven't experienced the persecution that other Christians have experienced in, here in this world, when things then happen here in our lifetime that are unexpected— when things don't kind of turn out the way we think they should, or when someone dies, when someone that's close to us dies, then all of a sudden our lives are shaken to the core. And so many people stumble in their faith because things aren't happening the way they, they thought they should. After all, this is heaven. It's supposed to work out, right? It's kind of our approach. We don't necessarily put words to it, but we're devastated when things don't happen the way we think they should. Or somebody in our life who we love dearly goes on to be with the Lord, who goes on and dies. But why don't you look at this, what the Apostle Paul said about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He writes, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. That's what I want to do here this morning. I want to encourage you with the hope of heaven, the reality of heaven. Not putting your hope here just in this world, but putting your hope in the life of the world to come. And so number one, when we get to heaven... We get a new body. And everybody was thankful. Say amen to that one. I noticed the only ones clapping it had white hair. <laughs> Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. It says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4, it says, While we live in this earthly tent, we groan with a feeling of oppression. It is not that we want to get rid of our earthly body, but that we want to have the heavenly one put on over us so that what is mortal will be transformed by life. See, folks, when we get to heaven, we get a new body. And even though those of you who are younger may not think that's such a big deal, let me suggest to you that getting a new body is going to be a fantastic thing. Because the reality is the older we get, these bodies of ours get tired. They, 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 they start feeling all this pain and creaks and groans and things don't work like they're supposed to do. These bodies of ours, they get sick and with age, the body starts moving slower. You know what I'm talking about? The eyes start becoming a little more dim. I didn't ever have to wear glasses. Our eyes start getting dim, our ears start getting a little duller and, and everything either starts falling south or it falls off altogether, right? <laughs> Some of you know more about that than others. 
And for those of the rest of the world, it's not like most of the world likes our bodies because billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent every year to cover up, to make up, and to lift up these bodies that we so-called love. But here's the thing. When we get to heaven, we won't have to do any of that because we're going to get a new body, a body that's an eternal one, a body that's never going to die, a body without any aches or pains or creaks or groans. Or We're going to have a brand new perfect body. And so getting a new body, that's a great way to give you hope that there's something more to come. Number two, when we get to heaven, we get to see and speak with our loved ones. We get to see and speak with our loved ones. In Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. See, the Bible describes for us that if you and your loved one have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you can still have hope because this is not the end. This is a, just a goodbye for now. But there are still great reunions still to come when we step into eternity. And I don't know how that makes you feel. But I, for one, am looking forward to that day of being reconnected with the loved ones who have gone before me. I'm looking forward to that. And every time somebody dies who's close to me, who knows the Lord, who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what that does? That gives me just one more piece of investment in heaven. I have another, every time somebody dies, there's another investment that I have in heaven that makes me look forward to that day Then we're going to be all together. And that's another reason to have your hope then into heaven. And then number three, when we get to heaven, we'll get to live in a perfect world. We get to live in a perfect world. In Revelation 21, verse 9, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gate. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three in the north and three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, and the the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great streets of the city were a pure gold like a transparent glass. I did not see the temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. The city does not need sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. 
for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does not does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I don't know how it is with you when you when listen to those words or you read those words, but I look at that and I think, this is really hard to really comprehend how incredible heaven will be. But the reality is heaven's a perfect place. Disney World has nothing on it compared to heaven. Hawaii and the tropics have nothing compared to what heaven is going to be. Anything beautiful in earth is just a dim reflection of what heaven is going to be because heaven is a perfect place. And everything that was lost here in our first home, here on earth, because of sin, everything will be redeemed then in heaven. There's so much junk. There's so much temptation. There's so much destruction here in our world today. But you know what? Not in heaven. Not in heaven, because heaven is going to be a perfect place. And so when the world gets you down, when the world is not doing what you think it should, when life's not happening the way you think, then put your hope in heaven. Because this world is not heaven, and there are so many great things yet to come. Number four, when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of no mores. Now, I didn't say s'mores. I said there's going to be a lot of no mores. I don't know if you've ever had season in your life when you've had the hope of no mores keeping you going. You know, the, the, the hope of no more exams. I remember as a kid, when I was in elementary school, riding on the school bus and seeing all these people going into stores and shops and thinking, I wonder what that will ever be like when I don't have to go to school. And as a little elementary kid, it's like that was never going to happen. You know, it just felt like eternity. And so the, whole, the idea that someday, somehow, there, there's going to be a time when there's no more tests, no more schools, no more all-nighters, no more changing diapers. Anybody want to say hallelujah for that one? No more changing diapers. I mean, so many of these no mores in our life kind of keep us moving and progressing along. But when we get to heaven, there's going to be some awesome no mores. Look at this in Revelation 7, verse 16. It says, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will, be, will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old, older order of things has passed away. Revelation 21 verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in a fiery lake of burning sulfur. They're not going to be in heaven. And Revelation 21, verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceit. See, that's some, some amazing no mores that we'll never have to experience again. And when we step into to heaven, if that's a whole nother reason to put your hope there in heaven. And then number five, when we get to heaven, it will be the last time you ever fall. When we get to heaven, it's going to be the last time that you ever fall. In Romans 7, Apostle Paul describes this argument I think most of us experience. He says in verse 15, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. 
I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do it. I want to, but I can't. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. Ever feel like that? Ever feel like that description the Apostle Paul is describing here? Ever felt like everything you don't want to do are the things you end up doing? And the things you know you want to do are the things you, you just keep struggling being able to do? There's, there's a song that DC Talk um, did several years ago called In the Light. And it describes this. The words go, I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I got one for every selfish thing I do. The disease of self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring the sickness under control. Tell me what's going on inside of me. I despise my own behavior. I think every one of us has experienced that war that goes on inside. So yes, I'm thankful that I'm saved by grace. Thank God. And yes, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that forgives me from all of my sins. But you know what? I still get tired of failing. I, guess I still get tired of falling. You know what I'm talking about? But in heaven, you won't have to deal with your sin nature anymore. When we step into heaven, this war will be done. Your sin nature will no longer have control over you. No more guilt, no more condemnation, no more failing, no more falling. All of that will be done with. I think it's just another reason to put your hope in heaven. And here's the last one. Number six, when we get to heaven, we'll take part in an awesome worship service. We're going to take part of something that we've never experienced yet before, that we only have a taste of it here on earth. In Revelation 5, verse 11, it says, And I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wisdom, wealth and wisdom, and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worship. In Revelation 19 verse 6 it says, And I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. I mean, have you ever been a part of a worship service that's just kind of made you come alive? Where, it, where the presence of God just felt so close to you that it felt like that God was speaking it to you? No matter what you've experienced here on earth, it's going to be nothing compared to what we experience then in heaven. It's going to rock the walls, and the roof of heaven. And thankfully, nobody is going to have ears that makes it hurt their ears because of the loudness of the sound. Amen? Okay, some, some of you guys got that, right? <laughs> we're not going to have to deal with it. We're not going to have to worry about how loud it is because we're not going to have any of those restrictions or restraints because the glory of God's presence. And here's the thing. For the very first time, you're going to be able to see God as he is. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Think about it. You're going to be able to see God face to face. Here, we, we're talking a lot about God. And here, when we worship, we, we get a, an aspect of his presence. But when you think about it, it's like taking an eyedropper, and we get just a little bit of drop of the presence of God. We just get a little bit of who he is. But when we step into heaven, you're going to be able for the first time to see God face to face. You're going to be able to hear his voice without any sort of limits, limitations or restrictions. It's going to be like, like you're hearing my voice right now. That's how God will be. That's how present he will be. And all of a sudden, everything's going to make sense. This is what we're going to experience when we get into heaven. And so when you begin to understand what heaven is really like, then earth pales in comparison. Yeah, they're beautiful things. There's wonderful things that we experience here on earth, but it's nothing like what is to come. And when that begins to happen, when the things of this world begin to, to dim in our priorities and our values, then what happens is we begin to live for that day. The perspective of that day, the perspective of eternity, and not just right here and right now. And you begin to realize the reality that you're not a human being who's just trying to have a spiritual experience from time to time. But you are a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. And it goes by just that fast. Any of you who are older than 50 years old, you know what I'm talking about, right? You look back at the past 50 years and you think, where has time gone? That's how fast this life happens. That's how fast it is. It goes by in a, in a blink of an eye. This is simply a temporary human experience that you're having. You are a spiritual being. And this is just getting you ready then for eternity. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So when we understand what's going on, when we understand the big picture and the story of God and how our lives intersect with this story, this is just one little part. This is just one little snapshot of what is to come. There's a much larger story that's unveiling before us. And so we need to understand there's something bigger going on. This world is not your home. I want you to listen to this story. After having served for decades in Africa, a missionary couple, Mr. and Mrs. Henry Morrison, were returning to New York to retire. After years of service, they had no pension, and their health was failing. They were worried and discouraged. They were on the same ship as President Theodore Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his African hunting expeditions. No one paid any attention to the missionary couple. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president and his entourage. During the voyage, the missionary said to his wife, something's wrong. We have given our lives in service to God in Africa all these years, and no one cares a thing about us. 
Here, this man comes back from a hunting trip, and everybody makes much over him, but nobody gives two hoots about us. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of news of the president's arrival. No one was there for the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. That night, the man said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you go into the other room and tell that to the Lord? Good response, by the way, right? He did just that and returned a short time later, but his face was different. His wife asked him what had happened. The Lord settled it with me, he said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one even met us at the dock. And when I finished complaining, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you are not home yet. Perspective. You are not home yet. In this journey of your life, in this journey of your story of what's happening, you're not home yet. So things aren't going to make sense. Things aren't going to happen the way you think they're supposed to happen. You're just not there yet. You're not home yet. And while we're here on this world, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be pain. There's going to be disappointment. And there's going to be death. But you know what? There's also going to be incredible joys. There's going to be incredible things and opportunities that you'll have while you are here, which will cause you to forget that this is not your home. And so just in case you've forgotten, just in case you've gotten wrapped up in all that's happening around you here in this world, let me remind you, this is not your home. This is not your home. You haven't arrived yet. The story's not done. This is not your home. Heaven is your home, and we have a lot to look forward to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, folks, this is the hope that we're to live our lives with. And in case you've forgotten, let me just again remind you, this is not your home. There's more to this picture. Heaven is your home. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. I want you, I'm going to pray with you here this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the moments, moments even like this, where you stir our hearts with things that are so much bigger than what we're currently experiencing. Father, thank you for opening our eyes to eternity. Thank you that you, you've shown us what is yet to come. And so, Father, I pray for everyone here this morning that, God, whatever's going on in their life, all these voices that are, that are vying for their attention, all these things that are happening in their life, God, I pray that in the midst of all of that, that, God, your voice would be the dominant voice, that we would choose your reality above every other voice and every other reality that's vying for our attention and for our allegiance. That here today, in the midst of what's happening, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of joys, in the midst of 
incredible things happening in the midst of difficulty, loss, pain, and death. Father, I pray that you would drop eternity in our hearts. That, Father, that we would live this day for that day when we step into eternity. That we would live our lives not just based upon what the culture says or what our family says, but we would live our lives out of holiness, marked, that we are marked by you, that this world is not our home, that heaven is our final destination. And Lord, I just pray that you would stir that up. And Lord, I pray for where there's unrest. Lord, I pray where all those voices are consuming because of the situations that people are facing. Lord, I pray that your peace that surpasses our understanding of right here and right now would come and guard and protect every heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Right where you are, I'm just going to ask you, just if you would, just, just put your hands out in front of you. Just stretch them out. I think this is one of the greatest physical things that we can do because there's so much in our instinct is to draw in where we grab a hold of something and we hold it tight to us. That might be a person. That might be a thing that we grab a hold of and we draw close to us. That might be a dream. That might be a vision. That might be a desire. Whatever it is, what I'm asking you to do is just open up your arms, open up your hands, and just release it to let it go. Recognizing again, right here and right now, there's a greater story being written. And this moment, there's so much, there's so, it's bigger than right here and right now. And so, Father, it's all across this room, Lord, we just let go. We let go of the hopes. We let go of the dreams. We let go of the successes and the accolades. God, we let go of the wonderful blessings and the rewards that we've received. God, we let go of those joys. And let, God, as well, we let go of the hurt and the pain and the disappointment. God, we let go of those unmet expectations. We let go of the death and the loss in our life. God, we release that here. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would anchor our lives again in eternity that the things of this world would go strangely dim in the light of your glory and power. Father, I pray that you would give us a hunger for heaven. Even though right here now, God, so many things are great, Lord, I pray that we would have a hunger for eternity, that we would just know that this isn't our home country. We're here, we're foreigners, like in a strange land, but this isn't, this isn't where our citizenship is. Lord, I pray that we would never forget that and that we would act like your ambassadors here in this foreign country, in this foreign land. Lord, I pray you, you work that deeply in our hearts. God, let your peace just calm those things inside of us. As we finish here, we're going to take communion here together. And the Bible describes for us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
You know, Jesus gave us some very tangible things to remind us of eternity. He gave us some very tangible things to say, there's a bigger story happening here. That your story is part of a greater story. And communion is one of those things where it's showing there's something very, very tangible right here in our hands that we can grab a hold of and realize there's a bigger picture here. Our lives are but a whisper. There's life and death right here. But Jesus has made a way for us to spend eternity with God. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about eternity, in John chapter 14, Jesus is trying to describe what's, what's going to happen. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Thomas goes, um, how do we get there? Uh, you've said all these things, but I don't get it. I, you know, Thomas is great, you know. He's, he's the one that asks all the questions. And he says, I just don't get it. I don't, know, I don't know how this is supposed to work. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice that eternity, heaven, is open to us. And this is what we get to celebrate here. This life goes by just like that. But there's going to come a day when you are going to step into eternity. Here at One Chapel, we celebrate open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member here at One Chapel to take part of communion. This is a table Jesus set. This isn't a, a table that any man or woman has set. But this is his invitation to be a part of this incredible story. And so all I'm asking is that if you're a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, this table is set for you. But if you've never made that decision, I can tell you, you can make it right now. You can know without a shadow of doubt what's going to happen to you when you step into eternity. This life goes by just like this. You can know that right here and right now. Because the Bible says if we'll just give our life to Jesus, then he'll take over and you will be saved. So right where you are, right here in this moment, you can make that decision. Just invite Jesus to come into your life. Let go of that. Ask him to come in. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For all call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so... How we're going to do this is there's a station in front of each of these two sections. You're going to exit front row all the way going back. Exit to your right. Come right here. Take a piece of bread. Dip it in the juice. And then take it back to your seat. And just have this moment where heament and earth intersected this place. Let's do it together.